That's going on. Today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. So if you don't know where the book of Psalm is, the way I used to do this is try to open my Bible to the middle. And that's typically you're going to land in Psalms. Uh, book of Psalms. Um, there are a number of different authors uh, in the book of Psalms. Uh, but one of them primarily who wrote Many of them, anybody know? David, King David, uh, King of Israel, uh, is the one who wrote many of the Psalms. Anybody know what Psalm means? Song, yep. So these are songs written, we read them as short writings, but they were most of these were written as songs to be sung, um, and that's why they exist. So it's actually a book of songs for the nation of Israel that they would sing, much in the same way that we sing in our songs, proclaim truths about who God is and about who we are with Him. Uh, you'll find the same thing to be true in the book of Psalms, where these songs proclaim truth about who God is, how we relate to Him, and how we live our life by faith in Him, okay? So uh, just keep that in mind as we go through these. We're just going to pick a handful of these over the next number of weeks, and we will uh, we'll look at a, a few different chapters or songs, uh, actually, to be more clear. So, uh, so songs um, are a type of literature, poetry. There's a poem I was not really that big into uh, English class in high school, but I do remember this poem, and it's always stood out to me, uh, Robert Frost and the Road Not Taken. Anybody heard of that one? Let me read it to you real quick. So try to picture this as I read this to you. It's not very long. He says this, Two roads diverge in the yellow wood, and I'm sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler. Along I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as to be just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as far as passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I... I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how, knowing how way leads on the way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I should be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverge in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. If you're not familiar with that. So two roads, two paths, investigates them both. They seem equally valuable, equally uh, good, but he had to choose one. Tried to keep the other one in his pocket for another day, but he said, we really know that once I take one path, odds are slim that I'll ever come back to, to check out the other one. So we choose paths in lives. Life often prepares two paths requiring travelers to make choices, right? You can think about that. You get many places in your life, many scenarios in your life where you get and where you stand and there's two options. 
And you do the same thing that Frost was just talking about. You look down this one and you try to see as far as you can. And then you look down this one and you try to see as far as you can. And you evaluate which path in life seems to be the best. And then you have to choose. You have to choose which path you're going to take. The dilemma and the desire for all of us is we want to know where the trail takes us before we commit. Do we not? We want to know the destination of the path before we set out on that path. But the problem is what Frost says. He looked down as far as he could. You look down as far as you can into the choices that you have in front of you, but the problem is the one thing that we wish for is certainty. We wish that we could know that we know where this goes, and the reality is we don't. There's just no way. There's no way for us to know the complete, everything we're going to encounter on these paths, so we have to choose without knowing fully what our path holds for us. So here's my first question for you. What about not knowing is so scary? When we're standing at a path in life, a crossroads in life, and there's two choices, this path or that, yet we don't know fully where either one goes, what is it that's so scary about the unknown? Lack of control, okay? What else? So, okay? Uh, could turn out bad. Change. What if I choose this path and the path changes everything in my life, right? It's like we, get, we can get anxious about that. That can be a, a fear cause creator. What else? What's so scary about not knowing? Follow. What could make it easier? Like, other than knowing, what are a set of things? Let's, let's cancel out knowing, because you can't know. But what can make that choice easier? If you don't know the destination, let's say that, what if, even if you couldn't know fully what the path held for you, what if there was certainty that it'll be good, Right? Hmm? Warning signs. Warning signs if, if I knew that there were some caution warnings. Okay. Hmm? Okay. So lack of control would be okay if there's some sort of safety net. If, if, uh, if I had a reverse, <laughs> if I could backtrack, let's say this goes bad, do I have the ability to go back, right? Um, so you think about this and just, I mean, this is, this is normal everyday stuff because on a regular basis, we encounter two paths in life. 
Sometimes there's significant milestones in our life. Sometimes they're just daily choices. Am I going to Burger King or McDonald's? But sometimes it's, am I going to this career or this career? Or am I going to choose Jesus or am I going to choose to walk away? I mean, there's some are small, some are big, but we have two paths that meet us on a regular basis. Let's look at Psalm chapter 1. And figure out why we just went through all that. Psalm chapter 1. I want to read. It's only six verses long. So we're going to read this together. um, And consider it. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Or stand in the pathway with sinners. Or sit in the company of mockers. Instead his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams and bear fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand, uh, will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Um, So 14 and a half years ago, isn't that right? 2005, March, about 14 and a half years ago, uh, Shelly and I stood together and we said our I do's, right? Um, Prior to the wedding, I found two categories of people that wanted to speak into my life. Right? So if anybody's been married, you probably can understand this. So we got the wedding, marriage, and we got two groups of people speaking into your life. Group number one, it's the guys. The guys, those are the guys at work, those are the friends from high school, but it's just the guys, right? Um, And then group number two is really everyone else, but it can be summed up by parents or spiritual leaders. It was the time we spent with the associate pastor doing pre-counseling. It was the parents that wanted to speak into our relationship prior to the wedding. So what advice do you think I heard from the guys? Don't hold back. Run. Run. They want to talk you out of it. Why do they want to talk you out? What's, What's the... What's the typical lines, right? There's about six of them probably. That six warnings that the guys want to give you before you get married. Oh, ball and chain. You're going to be stuck with her forever, right? One girl for the rest of your life. How awful is that? That sounds awful, Right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd be a little direct with you. 
That's going to be the only girl you ever wake up sad for the rest of your life. But that's the warnings that are given to you by the guys, right? They want to warn you about these things. They want to talk you out of it. They want to help you run, flee. They want to talk you into... uh, What they're really trying to talk you into is a life of options. Freedom. Right? Because the old ball and chain is going to steal your freedom. Huh? And your money. (laughs) And you're going to run out of options because you're going to be forced to wake up beside the same woman for the rest of your life. Right? So they want to keep their options open. They want to encourage you to have freedom. But then you've got the other side, and I'm going to say, thank goodness I... I chose not to listen to this group, and we walked in the counsel of this group, right? And the counsel of this group is, you know that before you say I do, there, there's no option out. We, we want you to know that, not in a negative sense, but don't let divorce enter your vocabulary, because if it enters your vocabulary, you'll follow through with it. So decide now that there are no other options. You're in. You're, the, when, when Jesus says that he promises to never leave or forsake you, it doesn't come with a clause. It's just a promise. That no matter how you walk with me, I'll continue to walk with you. And you're going to imitate Jesus in your marriage. That no matter how she walks with you, you keep walking with her. You never leave, you never forsake, you will be faithful, right? So that's the counsel you're receiving over here, and then you've got the counsel, you've got two paths. You've got two groups that want to advise the steps of your life. Um, every fork in the road attempts to paint some persuasive picture. Every fork in the road wants to say, come our way, here's... Why? And then the other one will say, come our way, and here's why. And, and nobody's presenting a bad picture. Come our way and you'll fail. But, but everyone, you begin to see the potential of those choices surface, and they become persuasive, compelling you to a preferred path. Here's the deal, though. It's rarely, I want us to understand this. When you come, it's not a flux capacitor. That's a fork in the road. Um, when you come to choices, Derek, you like that, right? That's good. 1.21 gigawatts. Um, <laughs> sorry. When you come to these intersections in life where choices are made, it's... It, it's rarely as obvious. You remember in the old cartoons when you watch like Bugs Bunny or whatever and, and you've got the angel on one side and the devil on the other side and they're talking to you and they're trying to talk you into their direction, trying to talk you in with their advice. It doesn't ever come across as simple and as clear as that. Um, but forks in the road, this is a spiritual battleground where life is won or lost. These are spiritual battlegrounds. This is a place of warfare. 
where you can win or lose life, depending upon what advice you heed to, what path you take, who you choose to follow. Spiritual warfare, spiritual battlegrounds. David was, uh, gives two contrasting options to follow, and he, what does he call them? David's options are two. The first one is the way or the advice of who? Man. The advice of the wicked. The advice of the wicked is the one first option that David gives. The second option that David gives is the Lord's instruction. You have two groups persuading you that David lays out. The way of the wicked, the advice of the wicked, or the advice or the instruction of the Lord. When we say wicked, we're not talking about murderers and rapists that are locked up for life. I think, very simply put, when David's talking about wicked, he's talking about anyone who is chosen not to heed or use the Lord's instruction. Anyone who's cast that aside. I'm going to live completely separate from whatever God has instructed. So the difference between the godly and the ungodly is God. It's not your actions. It's not how evil your things have been. It's do you have the presence of God Are you walking in the presence of God or are you not? So when it comes to the wicked, don't think of the worst of the worst of the worst. Just think about anybody who has rejected the Lord's instruction. And if they reject the Lord's instruction, then any advice they're giving you is contrary to the counsel that God would give you. Okay? So two options. The the, the advice of the wicked or the instruction of the Lord. Somebody read verse the first line. How does David open this up again? What's the first thing he says? Everybody's scrambling to find it. Oh, the joy. He says, also, how happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. How happy are those who do not follow or owe the joy of those who do not walk in the advice of the wicked. Uh, There's a quote from Aristotle. He said, happiness is the meaning and purpose of human life. The whole aim and the end of human existence. Happiness is the meaning and purpose of human life. That's what Aristotle said and a lot of people believe it. True or false? Is happiness... (laughs) Is happiness the meaning and purpose of human life? Tony says, eh. I think that's when you say happy, it doesn't mean like, to me, joy and happiness. Well, your Bible studies have helped you understand that. But I think, when I, and I went back and looked to see if happy means happy, and happy means happy in this passage. So, and I went back and I studied the language, and I went back and did as far as I could, because that question came to my mind. Does he, does he really mean happy? Does he really mean that there's going to be a sense of happiness? 
And in this case, happy means happy. Okay? So is happiness the goal and purpose of human existence? Okay. So here, let me ask you a follow-up question. What, what arenas do we encourage people to follow the advice? And we know we've heard this advice. Do what makes you happy. Just, I don't know what I need to do. Just do whatever makes you happy, Sam. Because that's the meaning and purpose of life. Right, so what arenas and what areas of our life do we give or follow? People want to tell you or maybe you want to tell others that same thing. Careers. I don't know what to do for a living. What kind of job should I pursue? Just do whatever makes you happy. Right, what else? I don't know if she's the one I'm supposed to marry. Is she the one I'm supposed to be with? Well, just do whatever makes you happy. Right? Where else? We give and receive this counsel all over our life. Should I buy the boat? Do whatever makes you happy. Follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. Should I leave my wife? Just do whatever makes you happy. Should I leave my career? You got anywhere to go? No, just do whatever makes you happy. This is the motto. This is the... Let me give you... David meant, oh, how happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. But the advice of the wicked would be, do whatever makes you happy. Both groups are promising happiness, and that has been a dilemma for me in my studies this week. Both groups, the advice of the wicked and the instruction of the Lord, both are giving the indication that happiness exists on their path. We're painting a picture. Whichever path you choose, both of them are compelling you and luring you with a sense of happiness. Okay? But the question is, can we discern? Because, let's be honest with ourselves. You're right, it is a lie. It's a lie of the wicked. It's a lie of the enemy that he wants to compel you down this path with the lure of happiness. But when you're standing at the road... If we're not operating in what David's saying here, he said, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners? Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. If I'm not finding a delight and a joy and a contentment and just an overflow from being taught and instructed by the word of God, if I'm not in that, and if I'm not overflowing with that, then I'm going to be honest with you that the enticement of happiness apart from delight in the law of the Lord, it's pretty convincing at times. 
pretty convincing. That's why you have to delight in the Lord's instruction if you're going to recognize the advice of the wicked because both of them have a sense of happiness tied to them. Um, so here's the deal, going along with what Sam said. Uh, to David, happiness is a byproduct of delighting in the Lord's instruction. David says, if you delight in the Lord's instruction, happiness will be a byproduct of it. But then, the wicked make happiness the chief end. That pursue happiness. Pursue happiness. That's the goal. Pursue it. Chase after it. Do whatever you think will create that. And happiness is the chief end. Where David says, no, happiness is not the chief end. Pursuit of the Lord is the chief end. That is the goal. Glorify Him. And in the end, as you delight in Him and His instruction, happiness will be a byproduct of it. So one has you chasing after Jesus, and one has you chasing after happiness. But David says, if you chase after Jesus, happiness will be a byproduct of that. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be the happy guy in the room, but David does mean that there's a sense of satisfaction. There's a sense of yes, right? Because even, Derek, we've talked about this sometimes before. It's just, to be a Christian, I mean, like, wasn't there a song like where he makes me happy? And it's like, sometimes I don't always just feel like smiley, but there's a sense of just, yes, as you delight in the instruction of the Lord, there's just a sense of, yeah, this is it. This is good. This is happiness, contentment that I find in this. Um, so the wicked promise happiness as the chief end, but it becomes elusive. Here it is. The advice of the wicked says, come this way, pursue your happiness, but then you get somewhere down here and happiness is gone. It's like it lured you with happiness, but then you get on the path and you're like, it's gone. It disappeared. I can't grasp it. It's like Solomon said, it's like a chasing after the wind. You're trying to grab for the wind, but it becomes elusive. It's promised up front, yet down the path it has escaped you. Look at this. This is something I noticed in the passage this week that David says, happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners. Because when you Walk in the advice of the wicked. When you walk to pursue that, do whatever makes you happy. Then you get down the path and happiness has escaped you. So now you go from walking to standing because you're looking around wondering what happened to it. I pursued this path to find this thing. And then I'm halfway down the path and now I have to stop walking in order to look around and try to figure out what happened to the thing I was looking for. Because now it's gone. So happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company 
of mockers. Because when I chase after happiness as the chief end, I get down the path, I start standing, looking around, trying to figure out what happened to it. Now I'm confused. And eventually, I'm going to stop standing and I'm just going to sit and become a mocker at all things that promise any happiness whatsoever. I went from pursuing it to standing and trying to figure it out to now I'm just going to sit and I'm going to get complacent and bitter. Because happiness lied to me. The advice of the wicked was a liar. It did not give me what it told me up front. And when it doesn't give me what it told me up front, I get bitter and my goal is now to make you bitter. What do mockers do? They, they feel like they've been cheated of something. They were promised something. The promise never delivered, so now I feel cheated, and now I become a mocker because I'm bitter. And what do I want to do? I want to make you bitter with me. I want to make everybody sit with me. Have you ever noticed that mockers are like the loudest voice on social media? They're the loudest voice in our city because they feel cheated, and they've become bitter, and now they've become mockers, and they sit, and they just mock everything that promises anything good. Why? Because the one thing they were promised, they were not given. So now they mock any other promise. I go from walking to standing to sitting and mocking. That's how it happens. That's how it works. When have you become a mocker? There's no productivity because they ceased in walking. Now they're sitting and mocking and trying to tear down what other people are receiving because, right? So that was Derek's experience. He's like, oh, I realized I'm a mocker. And I realized that I'm actually receiving or think you're receiving some sort of satisfaction by fulfilling that role. It's like, if I can't be happy by receiving what I want, then I'm going to make myself happy by being a mocker. I'm going to chase after it down another way. So where have you become a mocker? What was it that you were cheated of and you began to sit in the seat of the mocker? Did you raise your hand over there? You better watch it. If we're having an auction, I would have sold you something. Right? Can anybody think of that? So, I mean, I, th I think if we're all honest, at some point... We got there. At some point, we've been there, right? I can, I can remember church meetings, staff meetings, 
or meetings with other church leaders in various places that I've been and various ministries that I've been a part of, that at one point we were chasing after our purpose, thinking that if we were just effective at leading people to Jesus, if we were effective at doing this or doing that, then we're going to be happy and we're going to be fulfilled as a church, but then we get halfway into our efforts and something's not working, something... So then when we gather as leaders, we're just going to sit at the table and mock the whole process or mock the church that's not following our leadership or mock this or mock that. If we can't have it, we're just going to be bitter against it. I've been there. My heart has gone there. And there was no effectiveness from my life from the mocker's table. Walk, sit, stand. Recognize this. The way of the wicked, the advice of the wicked, it's a dead end. It doesn't go anywhere. It ceases to move forward and you stop if you pursue it. If you walk in the advice of the wicked, those who reject the counsel and the instruction of the Lord, if you're going to follow the advice that they receive, that, that, that somebody is compelling you away from the instruction of the Lord and into whatever advice, it's a dead end and you will not move forward from it. You'll stop. The other option is to delight in the Lord's instruction. Delight in the Lord's instruction. I used to read this and I'd be like, delight in the Bible? Delight in reading and receiving? That is the most absurd thing that I could possibly think of. But once you delight in it, you're like, yes! <laughs> it's not so absurd anymore. There's, there's something that comes over you. You go from saying, this is boring, this is flat, this is... Hard. And then one day you open it and you read it and God speaks to you and it comes alive and you come alive and you begin to delight in it. You know when that doesn't happen? That doesn't happen when you close it, put it on your nightstand and never open it. Never happens to those of us that don't open it. We mock it. I read it once, wasn't that fun. I read it once and it was hard. I read it once, it didn't make sense. Derek talks about reading it all the time. That's just crazy. He just, I don't understand him. It's so weird. You become a mocker because you thought by opening it once, you'd have everything you wanted. But there's a process where we begin to delight in the Lord's instruction and it begins to feed our soul. I can't tell you what this path holds for you. It's interesting. If you choose to delight in the Lord's instruction, choose His advice, I cannot tell you what that path holds. But I want to quote my favorite book at this point. What is it? The Alchemist, yeah, sorry. Favorite book other than the Bible. Just because it was interesting to me. I can't tell you what the path holds, but The Alchemist 
Paulo said in it, he says this, making a decision was only the beginning of things. When someone makes a decision, he's diving into a strong current that carries him places he never dreamed of when he first made the decision. Can't tell you what the path holds, but he's saying this. When you choose this, the decision to choose that is only the beginning. Because when you choose, you're jumping into a current that's going to carry you into places and realities that you never dreamed of when you stood at the fork in the road. So when you make the choice, as long as you're at the fork of the road and you become a mocker, you become this, you become that, there is nothing. But when you choose, say, I'm going to choose to delight in the Lord's instruction, then here's, I don't know where that leads you exactly, but what I do know for certain is he's going to give you encounters and experiences along the way that you never dreamed of when you were standing back here. The journey is going to be incredible. Now what you encounter on that journey, I don't know. I don't know. But it's incredible. And until you step into that path and into that purpose, you're not going to have any of it. Uh, So in verse 2, David says he's like a tree. No, he's in verse 3. The one who delights in the Lord's instruction and meditates on it day and night. This man is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season, leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. What does the illustration, the imagery of a tree planted beside streams, what is he trying to communicate by that? What's he... There's no droughts by the flowing stream. There's no lack of nutrition. Like, so you can go through droughts, but if you're planted by water, then your whole property can be dead, can be brown, but as long as there's water flowing through that place, if you're rooted there, And no matter how long or how bad the drought, you're still fed, right? You're okay. He says, the man who delights in the Lord's instructions, he's like that tree. That droughts will come, seasons will happen, heat will burn up those who choose the advice of the wicked. They'll get down here and they'll be without everything they need, but those who choose to delight in the Lord's instruction will never cease to have everything they need. No matter how hard the season, you'll be equipped not only to survive, but to thrive. Right? And in fact, he says, heat, when you are planted here, heat doesn't wither. What does heat do as long as you're watered well? Hmm? Well, but when the heat comes down, I go back to first and second grade, 
When he beats down on something that's watered well, begins to produce fruit. But if he beats down on my wife's plants on our back patio right now, and she skips a couple days of watering, that same heat that produces fruit here wilts our hanging baskets there. It crushes them. They die. But the heat here produces fruit. Refreshment doesn't dry up. Jesus says that he is living water and those who come to him will never thirst again. It doesn't dry up. His source that flows to you doesn't stop. And here's the last thing. Whatever he does, the one who is like a tree planted by a flowing stream because he delights in the Lord's instruction, he says, whatever that man does will what? Prosper. Whatever that man does will prosper. Now here's what the mocker does when he hears that. He mocks that statement. How can you say that that man will prosper? There's no guarantee. How could we know that? Because here's what happened. If you follow the advice of wicked, it could turn out bad. And you don't have any control over it. But if you delight in the Lord's instruction, no, that's not going to happen. All things work for the good of those who love God and called according to His purpose. Whatever you do will prosper. If you do it out of delighting in the Lord's instruction. I don't know where it leads. But I can say, if you choose that path, it'll be good. It'll be good. Wherever it leads, it'll be good. Um, so here's, you stand at two paths, following the Lord's instruction. You don't know where it leads, but you know it leads somewhere good. For me personally, that breeds courage in me. I don't have to know where it goes or everything I'm going to encounter, but if I know that when I go, following the Lord's instruction, wherever we go will be good. That gives me courage to go. One of the most difficult things that I've seen in the church, I've counseled person after person after person after person after person who is standing right here. And for some reason, even the people in the church don't understand the simple principle that I'm telling you right now, that if you just simply delight in the Lord's instruction and keep moving, just don't stop, keep going, keep finding joy in what he's telling you. Keep listening and obeying to the Holy Spirit as you read the scriptures. Just keep going and it's going to be good. Keep going and it's going to be good. But even those in the church, for some reason, we want to be mockers of that. 
And when you become a mocker, person after person, after person, after person, after person that I've counseled through a dozen years of ministry find themselves sitting at the intersection and they'll do it for years. Just terrified to take the wrong path in their life. And when you're terrified to take the wrong path in your life, you know what you do? Nothing. You don't do anything but become a mocker. Wherever you go, whatever you encounter, it's going to be good. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that blows, that the wind blows away. So here he says, one delights in the Lord's instruction. This is, this is him. This is him. He said, not so with the wicked. The wicked instead are like chaff that the wind blows away. So this is kind of like, uh, we're going to act like we're in kids' class for a second. Okay. I'm going to try not to break something. Yeah, those are, you got glasses, you'll be all right. Mike and Tanya have agreed to be our cleaning crew. So they're out of town right now, but when they get back, they'll clean up. Right. So, when the scripture talks about, it uses a lot of farming and agricultural uh, illustrations, and chaff is one of them. So, um, they used to have, when they'd gather the wheat from the fields, um, they had what they called the threshing floor, and apparently they put it on uh, this floor, the solid surface, they'd bring the animals in, and they would just stomp the wheat, they'd walk it, and, and they'd thresh it, and what would happen is it would break down the wheat in there, and it would separate and break down the stalks and the, and the seed that came off the wheat, uh, and the grain that came off of the wheat, so that was the threshing part of it, but then after the threshing, are you okay? Are you, are you bracing yourself? No, it's, it's, it's not that dramatic. Believe me, it's not that dramatic. But after they went through the threshing floor and, and the, they would break down the, the wheat from the grain, the next part of the process was called winnowing. And what that was, was um, the, the farmer would take what we kind of know as a pitchfork and he would grab everything off the threshing floor and he would throw it into the air. He would throw the stalk and the, the seed and the grain, everything up into the air. And when he would throw it up into the air, the wind would take all the chaff or the, the stalk, all the dead, dry things that were not valuable, and it would throw it away. And all the chaff would blow while all the grain would drop straight down. So, you like that? Good dress you. But that's the illustration that he's saying. Those who walk in the advice of the wicked, the wind will blow you wherever it wants to. But those who choose to delight in the Lord's instruction, you will consistently land in the presence of the harvester. And when the grain, Jesus even said, that grain falls to the ground for a couple purposes. Number one, so that he can gather it. 
Number two, so that it can bear fruit. But the chaff, it's blown away. It's blown away. And that's what he's saying. Those who follow the advice of the wicked are like the chaff that the wind blows away. You have no control. Wherever the wind blows, you're going to go. Jesus had a, a statement in Matthew 3, if this weren't enough, and I think, practically speaking, I think that would be enough to encourage me to say, the consistency of choosing the Lord's instruction will bear fruit and holds promises that I know where I'll land. The consistency of choosing the advice of the wicked also has a promise. And it's, 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 you're right. There's no control and I'll go wherever the wind blows me. And I'll be lost. But Jesus takes it a step further in Matthew chapter 3, or actually John the Baptist talking about Jesus says this. says, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing shovel is in his hand. Jesus is the one with the winnowing fork. Jesus is the one who's separating the chaff from the grain. The winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. So there's an everyday promise in the chaff and in the wheat. But there's also an eternal promise in the chaff and in the wheat. The eternal promise is that Jesus will gather the ones who delighted in him in their time. And they'll spend forever in his presence when he returns. But those who choose the advice of the wicked in this life, when Jesus returns, not only will they be found to be scattered, but it says that they will perish with fire that never goes out. There's a judgment. And that's why David says, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment. Jesus came and fulfilled Psalm chapter 1 in that second part. He will gather his who delighted in him during their time. But those who choose the advice of the wicked will be scattered into eternal punishment. And it's a natural process when he comes back. Scripture also talks about for a while he leaves the chaff and the wheat together. That's where we're at right now. We're all together. Living our everyday life together in this city. But when Jesus returns, the great separation will be seen. It'll be seen. So two roads indeed diverge. And we cannot travel them both. It's impossible. We can sit at the fork and look as far as we can, but at some point we make a choice. I cannot tell you what your path will hold, but I can tell you where your path will end. Along this journey, you'll encounter a lot of things, unpredictable things, but everything will be good if you're walking in the Lord's instruction. And I know the end point, the end point is Jesus' return and he gathers those who delighted in him during their days. And those that chose not to and they followed the advice of the wicked, we know where that ends as well. 
So three questions as we close, just to consider. And Stephen, come lead us in a time. As he leads us in some music, this is a time for us to sing and to reflect and answer the questions that I'm about to ask you. Question number one. What area of your life have you placed happiness as the chief end? What area of your life are you following that motto? Because when you're following that as your motto, you have rejected that as your truth. If you're doing whatever makes you happy, you have excluded the instruction of the Lord. You can't follow both paths at the same time. So what area of your life have you placed happiness as your chief end? Question two, what will it look like to reverse that error? Hannah said, you know what? It'd be pretty awesome if I got a little ways down this path and I realized I'm on the wrong path. Well, with Christ, he gives you the the offer to turn around. He calls that repentance. It's saying, I've been going and pursuing my own happiness. I've excluded, don't care anything about the Lord's instruction. I've realized now that was the wrong way. How do I get out of this? How do I turn around? What will it look like for you to practically turn around so that you can now set out on a path of following the Lord's instruction instead of your own happiness? What do you need to do to make that turn? Maybe there's some learning that you need to have. Maybe you're like, you know what? Happiness is the chief end on this area of my life, but I don't even know what the Word of God says that I should be concerned about. You got to commit. You got to get in a DNA group so that you can ask in that setting so that we can apply the gospel to that area of your life according to what the word says. Maybe you didn't start reading. Maybe you know what to do and you're just not doing it. Maybe you already know what the word of God says in that area of your life and you just chose to ignore it and pursue happiness anyways. Maybe you need to confess that to those you're walking with. Confess that to the Lord so that he may forgive you and cleanse you and turn you and help you to walk in a better path. My last question is, do you believe God is enough to do this? Or do you believe God enough to do this? You can stand at the path and you can hear me talk about following and delighting in the instruction of the Lord. But you don't believe it enough to go that way. It takes a measure of faith to follow into a path that you don't know where it leads. Do you believe God enough to to follow Him into a path that's that's a little bit unknown? I think it's a good question to ask yourself. Do you believe He loves you enough? Do you believe He's good towards you? Do you believe he wants what's best for you? Do you believe he sees you in this path and he's walking in front of you and caring for you along the way? If you don't believe that, you won't follow him. What area of life have you placed happiness as the chief end? What would it look like for you to reverse that error 
And are you going to believe God enough to do it? Let's stand. Let's answer those questions to ourselves. Let's come to the altar and present this to God and believe that He wants to do a work in our life. Father, we thank You that You love us enough to give us Your instruction. You have not left us to figure these things out blindly, but You have given us the Word of God that we might know the person of God.